New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our latest batch of US soccer-themed listener questions. On today's show, we're looking at whether the USMNT coaching gig can attract a bigwig, whether Ralph Ranick should do the trick, how the national team will shape up at the Gold Cup, and we explore the USMNT's chances of making the World Cup Final Four. My name's Ryan Bailey. That's right, the Brooklyn Basher is back, baby. <laughs> Joining me today, a man who's delighted that Qatar are reportedly in talks to take an investment in Tottenham. Hotspur, Taylor Rockwell. How are you? Good news, everybody. Oh, lovely news to start the day. I did have two different Tottenham supporters text me to ask, like, how should I feel about this? And I said, to each their own, but I would be bummed because I would be bummed, but I'm not bummed because Ryan Bailey is back. There we go. Back on track. Good to see you, Ryan. So it's a bittersweet uh, uh, day for you then, Tater. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I got <laughs> I got no particular love for Tottenham one way or the other, but I, I, I think... Probably exciting that there will be money to be spent if you are a long-suffering Tottenham fan, similar to what we talked about with Newcastle. I'm guessing that there will be some joy there, uh, but then there is the also ever-present question of who is actually in charge and why did they buy this club and what's the goal behind it? Uh, so I guess you can be of two minds if you are a Spurs supporter. Mm, everything's great. Everything's yeah. great. Also joining us, Taylor, a man who sometimes gets angry when watching the USWNT play. Arizona Joe Lowry. Please tell us why. Is it because you're a bigot? Please don't tell us. <laughs> Somebody didn't read the article and just read the tweet to the article, <laughs> Ryan Bailey. No, I mean, I, I wrote this article for Backfield. Also, it's good to have you back, Ryan. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you listen to the episodes because that was like a, a reference that I, I don't think we shared with you. Ryan always comes back from a trip or from vacation or whatever, having listened up and done his homework and jumps right back into things. So I respect you for that, Ryan. No, I, I wrote this article about the U.S. women's team and about how much they just sort of play below their ceiling. And I, I wrote and analyzed all the reasons why. You can go read that on, on backheel.com. And it makes me angry because the team is so good and could be so much better. And I, I just don't think Vlatko is super good at his job. That's kind of my overarching takeaway right now. That makes me angry, Ryan. Uh, well, I'm glad it's not because you hate women or anything. So I'm glad to hear that, Joe. Yeah. And uh, very much uh, would enjoy checking out that uh, article on backheel.com. Listeners should do the same thing. Rounding out our Packer man, who's a renegade maverick who takes the law into his own hands, our very own vigilante <laughs> justice seeker, Graham Rutherford. Hello, Ryan Bailey. It's it's good to have you back. You are you have been anointed the Brooklyn Basher, so um, I believe now you are my security guard. You should be here any moment, I presume, to to serve at my request. Yes, I'm I'm not coming to Scotland anytime soon. No. Oh, not even to keep me safe. Disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. Who yeah. who of the four of us do we want in a break in scenario? If there had been a break in in Brooklyn, <laughs> who do we want wielding the bat? Taylor engaging the Taylor. Intruder? Yeah, Taylor. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Taylor play fives. He'll just run after them for two hours. <laughs> uh, Graham, I haven't sh- uh, shared this with the group. Uh, when I returned, I went to, for um, uh, the holidays back to the UK. When I returned to Rome this past weekend, we had a giant smashed window as well. It looked like there oh, might have been no. a, a break in attempt here. Maybe the same crew who uh, cased your place yeah. as well. It's TSS um, being targeted. Joe, Taylor, watch out. Maybe so. Maybe so. But uh, I informed a, a better our landlord. Podcast would have had somebody knock on the door just then and really, <laughs> really <laughs> ratchet up the drama. Sadly, nothing. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We, we can't even do that in post now. Um, yeah, Graham, the, the, the broken window here, I alerted our landlord immediately who sort of did the text equivalent of shrugging and said, maybe next week I'll come look at it. Cool, 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 cool. Great, great, great. Awesome. Everything's cool. Uh, Ryan's back in Italy, everybody. (laughs) I am back and feeling good. If it's a little drafty in here, you know why now. Uh, We've got plenty of US-themed listener questions to get through. Why don't we get straight to it, gents? 
with one from What's the Frequency, Kenneth Sidon. Hello, Kenneth. How are you? Has the USMNT job suddenly become less attractive to potential candidates? Asks Kenneth. Um, Taylor, this is a pretty crucial point for the US uh, soccer programme, you could argue. The next three and a half years, we'll call it, with the Gold Cup coming up, a Copper America, quite likely, and a World Cup cycle, which is a pretty important World Cup coming up. So it's a very important time to have a very suitable man or person in this position. And there are lots of candidates going around out there. Are they deterred from this job at the moment? No, I don't think so. I think it's the same job it's always been. That's my take. I welcome Graham and Joe and yourself, Ryan, to disagree. I I do think if you have maybe unfair expectations or overhyped expectations of what this squad should be or how they should be playing, then maybe there is some consternation as to why there aren't bigger names linked or uh, more bigger names actively pursuing the gig. Um, But I think it's kind of a a known job at this point. You're not going to win the World Cup, but you're going to get a a group of players or a pool of players that uh, is talented and will work very hard and will be very good in CONCACAF. And you can sort of be that manager that maybe... Uh, pushes that them to that next level, but that feels more like a a veteran job than a young upstart sort of job. I don't think it's the it's the gig. If you're Zidane and you're choosing between, I mean, not that he has the France option, but let's say like if Italy offered him the gig, Brazil and the United States, one of those is not like the other two. And, and so I think in that way, Do you it's mean not Italy going are qualifying? To, is that what you exactly? Mean? That's right. the one I'm I'm referring to. Um, I I think it's just it's not going to be as massively appealing for a big-name manager because you don't have that major continental competition. The Gold Cup is not the same as the Copa America or the Euros. Um, and you're not going to like like be very likely to go deep in the World Cup. And so in that way, you don't have World Cup qualifying either. So I think it's, it's not as desirable for big, big-name candidates, but I think it's still desirable for the people for whom it would have been desirable a year or two or three or four ago. Uh, Joe, what do you think on the desirability index? Has the job uh, increased on the index or decreased at the moment? Do you think uh, it is viable for a big name as a Dan or even a Bielsa I've seen thrown around in the candidates list at the moment? I do think it's viable for a big name. So I, I don't know exactly the context of Kenneth's question here. The only thing I can think of is that maybe there's a tie in with the recent uh, news that broke about the Reina family and the Burhalter family and all of the drama that's gone down there. And in sort of what it reveals about U.S. soccer, right, and how maybe troublingly interconnected that stuff is. So in my mind, maybe that's the thing that Kenneth is referring to that makes this job a little bit less attractive. But I would wager that that nothing that's happened would have a massive impact. I think it could have a slight impact, but I'm not sure it's going to have a big change on things. There's kind of two ways to look at this job, right? The first way is, man, this team has a ton of potential, and as a manager of it, I have the chance to be the face of the primary host of what will be the biggest World Cup ever. That is appealing. That should be an appealing offering to a soccer person. The other way to look at it, though, is that this is a middling national team with uh, really a lack of high-profile competitive games until, what, a year and a half from now? The Copa America in 2024, if even that? And so you could look at it one of those two ways. In reality, I think both of those ways are are accurate. Both of those views are accurate. The question is, which manager or managers will value the first point, the potential of the team, the chance to be the face of this whole operation? Which ones will value that over, you know what, this isn't a team that's likely to win the World Cup. This isn't a team that is going to be playing a ton of really meaningful games. I might be a little bit bored between now and 2026. I don't know who's going to weigh what in what ways, but Ryan, I do think there will be someone out there a high-profile manager or two that is intrigued by this job, the challenge is timing. I I don't think it's going to be soon. I don't think it's going to be before the end of the club season in Europe, certainly. And it it might even be longer than that. So my bet is that it's going to be Anthony Hudson, who is uh, one of Baralther's assistant coaches, now is the interim head coach. I think he's going to be the manager until maybe the summer, maybe even past the summer. I mean, you've got the Gold Cup and the Nations League, which we'll talk about later, popping up in, in June, starting up in June, I believe. So... I think he's going to be stewarding the team at least through the January and March windows and maybe even through June, and then we'll get somebody in who's from the outside. Yeah, I I break this question down into three separate parts. So, Joe, I also took the the reference or the context from Kenneth's question 
in relation to the Berhalter Reina story, which has been a whole mess after after the World Cup. I think there are certainly some lessons to be learned after that whole episode, or, or rather when that whole episode is, is over, because it clearly still got some distance to run. I think the lesson is that American soccer in general needs to become a little less intertwined with itself. We talked about this last week. And the whole issue that comes from the, the the close relationships and friendships at the top of US soccer, and, and and there can be a benefit to that, but we are getting the messy side of things, and it's all enveloped with things like Jay Berhalter in, in, a, in a senior position in US soccer, and Claudio Reyna's uh, manager at Austin FC is Josh Wolf, a close friend and former assistant of Berhalter's, and that's a little bit messy, and it's all a little bit too incestuous for, for an elite sporting organisation, so I think it, it maybe in, in that sense US soccer should be looking to an outsider but in terms of whether candidates will be put off by that I I don't think so at least if we we are talking about outside candidates Zidane didn't turn down the US job because of this he he turned it down because he wants the Brazil job or the Juventus job or something like that and if if a candidate were to get as far as really digging into what has happened here with with the Reina scandal they'd probably think well I don't have friends like that at, at, at US soccer. That won't happen to me is what I, I, I think the conclusion there would be. The second part of that, of, of whether Matt, this job is attractive to potential candidates, is the World Cup we've just had. I think this job is more attractive to potential candidates because of that campaign. Not because the US did amazingly well. The round of 16 is pretty much where you would place this team. But I had... Um, I had Christmas dinner with uh, extended family. An extended family member was talking to me about the World Cup and, and the US, and I wouldn't say that he's a massive soccer fan, but his summary was basically, they look like they have a good group, but they're lacking a goal scorer. And I was like, wow, that's basically a year of podcasts right there that we've done, summed up in, in, in only a, a few words. And I think a lot of people around the soccer world will have, will have had the same conclusion. There is talent in this squad that, that you can work with for 2026. So I think it's slightly more attractive in that regard. The third part, the third breakdown, is the cycle. And Joe, you referenced this. The cycle the US is having ahead of 2026. I think that potentially could deter some candidates where the US don't have qualifiers. Yes, they've got the Gold Cup, they've got Nations Leagues, potentially a Copa America. I guess that could change things if the US are invited to that. But the fact that the US don't have those qualifiers until 2026 just means, as you said, there is time for candidates to assess things. And maybe US soccer doesn't need to make a long-term decision this certainly in the first half of this year, maybe towards the end of the year, you're thinking, okay, you really need to be finding the guy at this point. But there's time for US soccer to to assess things. So if this question is about the Reina Berhalter story, I don't think this is putting anyone off. If it's about the job in general, I think there are there are plus and minuses of that yeah. position at this moment in time. Uh, two things for me. Um, I'll, I'll go with the, the Reina thing first. Uh, I don't think it's putting people off. My, my read on the situation, this is just like my speculation. Uh, I, I think they were probably going to renew Greg Berhalter. That, that's like what my gut tells me. And then I think the allegations against him are made known to Ernie Stewart while the World Cup is still going on. So then we have this investigation start. And, and the vibe I got from that press conference was we want to talk about the coaching search, but we can't tell you anything about the coaching search because – the investigation is ongoing and we have to see how that plays out. And I think some have taken that to mean that they are looking at other candidates. They will move on from Greg Berhalter. I took that to mean we can't really make a decision one way or the other until we know the severity of the situation. And and that sounds to me like if he is cleared of wrongdoing, if they decide it's an isolated incident and we don't see it as being grounds for dismissal or grounds for future problems, then maybe the coaching search resumes or maybe he is just appointed outright for another four years. But I think that has thrown a wrench into things a little bit. And so we're not getting as many names linked to the job because right now I think it's just kind of on hiatus until things are sorted out with Berhalter and uh, the Reina situation there. So I do think that has maybe factored into it a little bit. So if you're wondering why we haven't heard as many names linked or why there isn't the interview process underway, I'm guessing that's a big part of it too. Graham, the, the question I had, the second thing I wanted to talk about, like I hear you on the incestuous thing, which is a weird thing to write down in my notes of when is it too incestuous? Question mark. That's an odd one. Uh, but that's a thing I've heard a lot that U.S. soccer is incestuous, insidious. You've got the Burhalters, you've got the good old boy club of people who've all played together. Uh, I did enjoy the confirmation that the early '90s U.S. teams to the early 2000s teams are clearly the drama heads. They're the ones who love that drama. Um, but also in my mind. 
it is pretty common in club soccer too that you have for, like former players become coaches, yeah. former players become sporting directors, become technical directors. And so in some ways, I feel like that's just normal. You you tend to get that. And if anything, I feel like that's celebrated of, oh, the club is bringing back Edwin Vandersar or they're bringing back Darren Fletcher or Eric Abadal. Like you, you have these figures that are steeped in the club's traditions that then become like guiding directors for the future of the club. And, and so it can be a positive. But then that's where I ask you, like, do you have an idea of when it becomes too incestuous, when it becomes too much of a negative? Um, I don't really have a succinct answer to that. I guess it's just making a gut decision on on balance. You're right. I'm not. I, there, it's it's very common across soccer, international and club soccer, for former players to be in in senior roles. I'm not necessarily necessarily saying that US soccer shouldn't have former players and and people who have those close close relationships. I, I did say there is a benefit. There's an upside to having those relationships and having those people in senior role roles. But it, it's just um, yeah, it's just down to balance and and it feels like US soccer is kind of run by all the same people in, in a sense <laughs> you know this person is a brother of yeah. this person and this place, person is a close friend and oh, oh by the way their, their two wives know each other from uh, as, as teenagers and play in the same team and, and as I say there is a benefit to that it's just it's just a sense and, and something that I have gauged and I don't think I'm alone in this that it's the same kind of group of people at the top of US soccer and maybe bringing some insiders in would, would help so, so Graham to get insiders back to- excuse me to get back to Kenneth's question about whether the, the job is less attractive now, do you see the incestuousness as an institutional problem with US soccer? Because when I was looking at this, I saw this whole soap opera, if this is what Kenneth's referring to, as a disagreement between friends, essentially, but not an institutional issue with US soccer itself. So do you see it as something a bit more, a bit more like this, a, a greater change needs to happen? Well, Claudio Reina is, is a is a GM of a, of a MLS franchise, so I think that gives it a slightly different dynamic than just close friends. There surely there is surely a professional responsibility there that Claudio Reina has as as a senior figure in in US soccer. He's had roles at other MLS franchises franchises as well. Um, even just in in fact in in terms of him being a, a former. U.S. national team player and not just a player, you know, a legend. I think he has some responsibility there in, in his status. So I guess that's where I draw the distinction. Is it institutional? I mean, that that is that's a bold statement to make. I don't know if I would I would go quite that far, but certainly I think some examination of the people that are rising to those positions in U.S. soccer would would be healthy. Graham, I, I think I think I can like find that the happy middle ground here because because I hear what you're saying and Ryan to your question. The way the way I th- I see it is like it's I don't know if this is an institutional failing, but I think there is a a failure of, for lack of a better way of putting it, like creativity. Uh, uh, here there I'm going to try to be as vague as possible, but there was uh, an anecdote here in Richmond where like the local government wanted a a director of like youth outreach on social media, and they appealed to a person who was like basically in this group of people who were discussing it, and they're like, you're young, right? Like, well, well, you take it over. And, and like that right there is the problem. It's not like we're going to do a diligent search for a person who will steer this in the direction we need to to resonate with the communities that we're trying to reach. It's basically like, oh, you're around. We know you. You could probably do it. You take it over. And that, I think, is where it starts to feel a little bit like, are you guys actually looking for different people? Are you exploring different voices, different ideas of what might be working, what might not be working? Or are you sort of going with your buddy who you played with, who was a really good coach when you guys played together? And so we think he'd be a really good technical director that's where you you don't get as much transparency and so for me that's where it becomes just more it's not an institutional failing but it does feel like a little bit like a good old boy club at that point yeah that's i think that's a good way to describe it taylor i do think there's a chance that that good old boys and and girls club i mean Mm -hmm. could lead to institutional failure and i don't i don't i'm not the best person to speak on this i think people who are far better to speak on this have spoken and alluded to trouble sort of in u.s soccer and, and the culture being a problem there Kate Margraff is the U.S. Women's National Team general manager, works for U.S. Soccer, former U.S. Women's National Team player. Brian McBride is the U.S. M&T general manager, former U.S. Men's National Team player. Ernie Stewart is U.S. Soccer sporting director, former U.S. Men's National Team player. It's not, it's not difficult to piece these puzzles together, right? I mean, it, Taylor, everything you said I think holds up. That was a perfect illustration. I don't need to go any further here. You would like U.S. Soccer to look and sort of just be better at finding and hiring people. I think that could apply to the U.S. men's national team coaching search. 
I, I know I was kind of sort of tongue-in-cheek about you know being angry about watching the U.S. Women's National Team earlier, but I think you could apply the same criticisms to the U.S. Women's National Team coaching search. Frankly, if I, th- I think if Vlatko and, and, and what was happening right now with the women's side on the field was happening with the men's side, we would be tearing Vlatko apart, but we're not because those things are covered differently and the number of people covering them are different straight up. And then you you work your way up the ladder and there's problems here. So I don't know. We don't need to turn this into a, a, a witch hunt or anything like that. But I do think there are real issues with how U.S. soccer runs itself and how it at least hires other people. What I hear, what I heard from all of that is that Joe wants to see if Brian McBride floats. And if Brian McBride floats, then we have to ask questions about <laughs> his status as a witch. <laughs> or if he weighs the same as a, as a as duck. As a duck, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I was hearing that Joe wants to hire some boring administrators from other sectors. Do you want, like, the Petco CEO to come in and be sporting director or something, Joe? <laughs> Tim Apple. I mean, hey. Tim Apple. Apple. Soccer. If they can do that job, they can do the job. All right, Kenny, thank you very much. A very interesting question there. Let's take a break. When we come back, there's more. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes... I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. As we record, listener, Taylor Rockwell is in the TSS studio. He has a lovely scarf behind him that says King Peach. Taylor, is that to do with Atlanta or Georgia, or was that your nickname when you were doing the Magic Mike stage show? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, my friend. Nice. Very nice. That's still his nickname. Well, and you haven't answered the question either. Uh, That is Atlanta United. That was a a gift from Atlanta United supporters when we were down there for All-Star. It is lovely indeed, as is your. Let's move on. Uh, Thomas Buck has asked, uh, what will happen first? France winning another championship title or the USMNT reaching the semi-finals, presumably of the World Cup there from Thomas Buck. Joe, what do you make of this one? I think it's a very interesting question. Um, You know, reaching the semis on home turf isn't completely out of this world. South Korea did it. After all, in 2002, many others have done it as well. Yeah, many teams have reached the semifinals. That is, that's, that's true. Um, about I mean, four statistically times as many speaking, as... four, four do it every single time. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's something to that. Uh, Greg Berhalter said as much. So he had a, shoot, I think it was a Harvard business conference on the Thursday of his last week. weekly symposium. Oh, he loves yeah, it. After everything went down and he did it. He followed through, which I, I do respect. And he talked about, you know, I, I'd like to be back with this team. The goal should be reaching the semifinals on home turf. So... Uh, that said, France, by like a mile. I think this might be the easiest question we've had in a long, long time. I think the answer is France winning a championship will happen before the U.S. reaches the semifinals of a World Cup. So I, I want to caveat all this by saying predicting World Cup winners or, or even semifinalists I think is a crapshoot. Uh, I think it's really hard to do, especially if the World Cup format's going to be different. It gets even harder because you lose a group stage game and you get around a 32 knockout game and it just gets absurd at that point. We're going to see upsets. We're going to see chaos. So I'm not saying a U.S. run to the semis is out of the question, but I, I think it is far more likely that France go all the way and win it than it is for the U.S. to break into the established group of favorites. I mean, think about it this way. Only six different countries have won the Men's World Cup every time since 1966. That's a long time. Then you go back to 1950, and there's a seventh country, and you go back to the beginning, and eight. Only eight countries have ever won the World Cup. France is one of those eight. They are in the group of favorites. They are in the established group that is a favorite every single time. The U.S. have the potential to get there, but for me, it's just so far from guaranteed, whereas France doing well in a World Cup and and maybe at least being in contention to make that run, that is not guaranteed either, but is way closer to being guaranteed. 
if I'm playing the odds and the percentages, um, I have to go with France winning another World Cup before the US making the, the semi-finals. France have made the last two World Cup finals. They have arguably the deepest squad in international soccer. Kylian Mbappe is still going to be a thing four years from now. Um, everything is in place for them to, to win another World Cup, while with the US, we have to project more, a lot more progress from them to make the, the, the semi-finals, at least if we're talking about the, the 2026 World Cup. A lot has to happen in a relatively short space of time. Having said that, I'm not forgetting my long-term VSP that we did a few weeks ago for the for the 26 World Cup, which was that a CONCACAF team will make the semi-finals. I don't really have much logic or evidence behind that. It's just kind of a gut thing. So I do have a head versus gut situation because I could feasibly see the US making the semi-finals in 2026. It's just I reckon there's a good chance France will win that whole tournament. So I don't know I don't know where that leaves us in terms of Thomas's question. Maybe maybe the cop out answer to this is that both things will happen at the same time in 2026. France will win that tournament, US will make the semi-finals. Well, US would reach the semis before France won it, technically speaking in a linear timeline, Graham. I think uh just <laughs> sidestepping that one neatly. True. Uh, <laughs> that is true. I had to think about that. <laughs> I I think both are possible. If you if you're if you're forcing us to choose one or the other, as Ryan Bailey is wont to do, I think it's just France is more of the proven entity at this point. For the United States, it requires a lot of things to align correctly and problems to be figured out. Whereas with France, uh, let's assume Deschamps sticks around again, or even if they bring in Zidane or something. Like looking at the squad they could have uh, at the next World Cup four years from now, Jules Koundé would be twenty eight. Uh, Saliba, 25, Upamakando, 28, Teo Hernandez, 29, Konate, 27, Chuameni, 26, gosh, he's young, Fofana, 28, Kamavinga, 24, Mbappe, 28, Dembele, 29, uh, Marcus Turam, 29, Badeshile, 25, and Christopher Nkunku, 29. So you've still got a ton of attackers, a ton of talent, many of those players under the age of 30. I think the only one who could be like in that conversation would be Kingsley Coman, who would be 30. So there's just so much attacking talent for France. Giroud so would still be there, there as well. Who's that? Giroud's still going to be there. I, I actually kind of wondered if maybe he could be. I mean, we know what he's going to do. He can stick around. Why not? Let's keep him in there just to be the, the player that's sort of like, ah, I don't know why they're including him. And then he scores five goals or something. He'll be, uh, so, he'll be Nashville's top scorer by then. That's right. Ooh. <laughs> MLS all-time top scorer by then. Let's be real. Uh, so, uh, yes, I think there's a chance the U.S. makes the semis. I think there's just as much, if not more, of a chance that France wins the title before that happens. All right. Uh, sounds like we are mostly decided that France are going to do it first. But thank you very much, uh, Thomas, for that question. Let's move on to Robert Cordova's question. How does the Total Soccer Show view Sasha Kleiston's club and international career? Last week, of course, Kleiston uh, hung up his boots after a 17-season career. He came through the 2006 MLS Superdraft, uh, played for four MLS teams. Of course, he had a stint with Anderlecht as well. 52 national team appearances. And, of course, Graham world-class facial hair so how oh, do we um indeed how do we view sasha's uh time in the game well just just for the stash on its on its own i'd say he's probably the greatest american fo- soccer player of all time um yeah i think that's a, a fair conclusion to draw um Kleshton, as good as his career was so he played in europe he he got 52 caps for the usmnt he was a rookie of, of the year in mls he's eighth in league history for assists he got 99 assists which if i were him as good as impressive as that is would really really annoy me that he was one short of the of the ton but nonetheless very impressive Despite all that, I I feel like he didn't fulfill his full potential. So let me qualify that. He was really good at Anderlecht. He he was he was one of their best players for a period um, at a time when Anderlecht were winning titles and playing in the Champions League. And at that stage, you you felt like he might make that next step. And Kleshton's a player that I watched a lot of around that time. I was I was covering the US um, when they came to Europe to play games. They played a lot of games in Europe under Klinsmann, a lot of friendlies. And so, as I say, he was someone that I watched a lot. And, Graham, and it I, felt I thought like... you were about to say you watch the Belgian Pro League every week because I, I expect you actually do. <laughs> Um, not entirely. <laughs> Maybe if they straighten out that weird playoff system that they have at the end of the year, I'm, I've no idea how you actually win the Belgian sorry, Pro League. Sorry, but is, that, is that Scotland throwing stones at Belgium in terms oh. of league format? Enough of that. Enough of that. Didn't you? Didn't you all follow their format? I feel like Scotland ad- adapted Belgium's format. Shot Taylor. That, let's not mention that. We, we took their format and we made it even more confusing. 
Theirs is the straightforward version. Anyway, don't I, I, I don't and have never watched much of the Belgian Pro League. But nonetheless, around that time, it felt like Question was maybe had it in him for, an, for a, a, a one other move in Europe to the Premier League or one of the, the bigger leagues in Europe. And of course, that next step was to the Red Bulls. And I remember Klinsman not being very happy about that because, of course, he was all about demanding his players play in Europe where possible. And so having one of his key players, one of his first choice midfielders move to MLS didn't, wasn't particularly pleasing to him. It probably helped prolong Klinsman's career. But it, as I say, it felt like he had one more European transfer on the table. And I, and I guess I would have liked to have, I would have liked to have seen that. So as I say, as good as his career was, I'm probably nitpicking a little bit it felt like there was one more transfer in his career that we never got to see. To, like, a different league? Yeah, sure. To, to some other big league in, in yeah. Europe, to the to the Premier League. or I'm not for a, minute, for a minute saying he was going to end up at Barcelona or Real Madrid, but you look at, you know, Tyler Adams going to Leeds and him testing himself in the Premier League, which at this point is the best league in the world. I I, I felt like Klesson could have done that at, at some point, and unfortunately he never did. I think Graham uh, nailed it. I, I had it, uh, if we're, like, going for the... The sort of abbreviated summary for Kleshton, a properly rated European grinder and MLS baller, uh, who was always on those competitive teams in Belgium on Anderlecht, who uh, was in the Champions League. He was the one who went like, there's two Americans playing in the Champions League this week. He was always one of those. Uh, famously, there's that clash with uh, Zlatan where Kleshton can be seen drawing a silhouette of Zlatan's nose to point out that he has a large nose. I don't know if Zlatan had ever had that pointed out before. Uh, but to Graham's point... I think when we have players move to Belgium, especially in that era, it felt like, okay, now there's going to be that move to Germany or to a a high-profile Dutch team, or maybe it is going to be to an English club. But that move doesn't happen. And I think that sort of like return to the United States, as Graham said, there's also like the amount or the frequency of his call-ups goes down under Klinsman. He eventually comes back in, I think, in qualifying for 2018. But he's not in the 2014 World Cup roster. He's first caught up by, I think, Bob Bradley. And so it's it's sort of an uneven uh, like aspect of his USMNT career. I remember when he came back in and it felt like, oh, here's this sort of, at the time, underrated uh, like player who's good on the ball, who can play forward. I think there was much discussed about his ability to break lines and find passes and, and play vertically. And that was a thing that was lacking. And so he brought certain things to the USMNT at that point, but then that's the USMNT squad that fails to qualify for the World Cup. So I think, again, he has those 50 caps, but none of them being in a World Cup. Uh, He has so many appearances in Europe, but none of them in a league where you're going to be able to watch him regularly and see him regularly. I think that does limit how long in the memory he will be. So I think in the end, he is a player who sort of opened up some doors, I think, for Americans in Europe, but uh, had more success in Major League Soccer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's how I would see him. He, he he was part of that group after the 2014 World Cup, where MLS kind of shifted its strategy to targeting the big name US national team players. And he comes back to MLS with around roughly the same time as Dempsey. I, I, I seem to remember that being around that period. And Michael Bradley coming back from Italy to, to MLS as well. So maybe that would be slightly stranger now if Kleshin was in that similar position and he, he comes back to MLS because that, that isn't really happening with US national team players right now. But nonetheless, I, I would have liked to have seen more from him in Europe. Joe, any more notes on this one? Uh, I just loved watching Sasha Kleschen. Like, I think he was one of the most entertaining U.S. players to watch, maybe one of the most entertaining ever. So I'll add that in. I don't disagree with anything Taylor and Graham have said about you know not living up to his full potential. I do think there should be some consideration given the fact that he was a little bit early in terms of European teams really valuing American talent. He leaves Belgium in 2015. Pulisic gets to Europe and Germany, I believe, in 2015, and his senior career for Dortmund doesn't start till 2016. So I, I think he would have been today, if Sasha Kleschen is coming up today, he would have made that move. He would have made that move that Graham's talking about to another league, to a better league than Belgium. He just sort of was a victim of, I'm sure there's other things that were happening as well, but I think he was in some ways you know, a victim of his own timing. But yeah, 99 assist, MLS legend in, in, in so many different ways. And I probably value that more than anybody else here because I spend more time watching Major League Soccer. But I will think back on Sasha Kleschen's career, both with, with club and country, but especially with, with clubs, yeah. uh, as, as being extremely positive and fun to watch. Does anyone else get the sense he might make a good coach? Because I yes. do with Kleschen. coach. Coach or yeah. even like broadcaster. He did some social media, like Fox is doing a Twitter show during the World Cup, and he was on those shows, and, and from what I saw, 
do do a good job, and that show was was a lot more fun than the rest of their coverage that they did, and and sort of loose. So I don't know. I think he's definitely got a future in the game if he wants it. Yeah, I mean he he's he's um he's a nice guy by all accounts. I spoke to him a number of times, as I say, when I used to cover that team, and he'd always say hello, and he'd have time for you, and he'd always give you an interesting quote. So Joe, I could definitely see a, a broadcast career for him at some point in the future. Very nice indeed. Uh, thank you very much, Robert, for that question. By the way, um, as is my want to drop names, uh, I went to the supermarket last night by my house. And uh, speaking of um, well facial haired attacking midfielders, Mattia Zaccagni of Lazio was in the supermarket. Uh, try, it was quite funny. He was trying to do his shopping, and every sort of five yards or so, someone would stop him with a kid and have his photo taken with him. It was very obliging. It was very sweet to see. Did were you one of? Did you ask for a picture? I Ryan? did. Yes, yes. And then I asked did, him did, why I broke my window while I was away. <laughs> did he have the Lazio Falcon with him, just helping him <laughs> with the shopping? I think yeah, because it's like um, you know, if you had like a school like gerbil where you got to take it home every weekend, um, mm. a different kid. They they did the same with the eagle at Lazio. So I, I don't know if it was his weekend this weekend, but um, sure. Yeah, he had the claw marks on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the telltale sign. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to a question from Tom Carpenter, because uh, Taylor's looking distinctly unamused with this riff. T- Taylor didn't know who you were talking about, and and I will tell you that Google, when I tried to type the name you said, told me that that wasn't a thing. So now I know who it is, uh, but I would encourage people to, based on what Ryan said, uh, try to type that name if you don't know who they are and see just how wrong you were when you tried to type it in. Uh, Matias Zakanyi, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, if I'm honest. I, had it, I, I heard it as Zarkanyi, which is where I got confused. That's Zarkanyi? where I went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Zarkanyi. I have no idea. I, no, I think you got it right. I think you got I it right. Pay more attention to how Italian things are said, I suppose, is the lesson here, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, Todd Carpenter says there's talk about trying to get Jesse Marsh out from Leeds for the USMNT. People are saying. People are talking. Lots of people are saying it's around yep. the water cooler at this <laughs> moment, Tay-Tay. But would Ralph Ranick be an option if we wanted to go that style if Mr. Marsh doesn't work out. Taylor, what do you think about this one? Obviously, uh, Double R, as I'm now calling him, uh, is Austria coach at the moment. Terrific spell with Man United preceding yeah. that. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, like Honestly, removing the Manchester United aspect of things, because I still don't know what to make of that. My answer is I don't think so. I think he's a very good manager, uh, and I think w- will be good for Austria. I think he will be good for a lot of teams. I think there are two things that when you add them together, I'm not sure they would work. Uh, Number one, I think he is pretty set in what he wants and how he wants things to go. And that is not a criticism because it has worked for him. He's been very successful. Uh, But I I don't think he has shown himself willing to be flexible based on what he has at his disposal. Uh, a, A good... Quote, I saw Regnick's search for control, even in chaos, is reflected in his character. The qualified teacher is meticulous, but also steadfast in his approach. It is always clear that he is the man in charge. In some ways, that is exactly what you want as a coach, uh, be it at club or national team level. But I think a thing we have talked about many, many times with Greg Berhalter and national team coaches before him at, uh, in the U.S. is flexibility and the ability to make the most with what you have. And I think... The idea of uh, a a person who hasn't spent much time in the United States, who I don't know how connected he is to the youth, coming in and saying, this is how it's going to be. This is how we're playing. I don't want any, like, sort of, I will brook no dissent. I don't know if that is going to get the best out of this particular group of players. I mean, we have a very high-profile example of a player being told you're not going to play very much and how that played out. So I, I, I think... In that way, it's basically, I think it's a cultural contrast combined with a philosophical contrast that could spell problems. I think if we had a more established group of players who were more about like, yep, whatever the coach says, we're going to play that way. That's how it's going to work. But I just don't think that's been the U.S.'s ideology for a long time. I think the U.S. has been about a, a camp of players who like each other, who like playing together, and oftentimes coaches who I think give some control to those players. And then you could argue sometimes it's too much control to the players. Uh, but I think there is more of a back and forth. There is more of a, of a flexible relationship there and has been for the U.S. That's at least my takeaway. I look forward to uh, Graham and Joe completely disagreeing. <laughs> no, I, I, I would agree with uh, pretty much all that. Too. The, only, the only 
slight thing I would disagree with is you, you said that Ranić is, is a good manager. I think he has been a good manager. I'm not convinced right now he's he's a good manager. It feels like maybe that time has passed. I go back to his, his, his spell at Manchester United. It felt like he was heralded as this as this tactical pioneer, which which may be, be which may be true. He has inspired coaches like Jurgen Klopp and a lot of German coaches. But actually, when when it was his turn to put a, a team on the pitch. It felt a little bit outdated, actually, and and he hasn't coached or he hadn't coached before going to Manchester United for a good number of years, and Austria haven't exactly been brilliant since he he took over either. I think they had a good result in his first game that made everyone sit up on on Twitter and go, oh well, my United were the problem, and then actually the results since then have have been poor. If you told me that US Soccer were interested in hiring Ranić in a sporting director role. I think I think I might have a different opinion of that. That that's the job that Manchester United should have appointed Ranić to instead of head coach. That's where Ranić still has some value even as he gets a bit older. And a lot of the the comments that he's made he made at Manchester United have aged really well. And and a lot of the things that he was pushing for behind the scenes at Manchester United, according to a lot of the the reporting, there's been a lot of good stories from uh, Laurie Whitwell at the Athletic about this, about what Ranić wanted, that has also aged very well. So it seems like he is very good at identifying problems and suggesting solutions. So if if it's a if it's a if it's a solution of um, Ranić as a sporting director and then Marsh as the head coach, I know Todd makes a choice between the two. I say let's just have both of them. Let's just go full Red Bull and <laughs> give the US wings. Why not, indeed, <laughs> Joe? Your thoughts? Wings would help. Yeah, wings would help a lot, actually. I'm not <laughs> sure you need a striker if you've got wings for at least somebody. Give Weston McKenney wings and, and see how that goes. Yeah, I I don't love the idea of Rangnick as a manager. I'm I'm a little bit scarred by the Man United thing, and I, I agree with a lot of what Graham said. I think maybe things have passed him by a little bit. But even the other aspect here is the stylistic change that going with a Rangnick or even a, a Jesse Marsh would indicate for the U.S. kind of feels like a waste then. If you immediately throw a throw an Uno reverse card and you're flipping back the other way away from possession and you're just trying to play vertical and press all the time. I'm not sure that's a bad idea actually in this cycle. And maybe I should not pull a sunk cost fallacy here, but I, I do think there is some value in the style that, that the U S started to build over the last, you know, four years now since, since 2019, I think there is a lot of merit to that. I don't think it's perfect. I think they need a lot of help in the final third, and that's what I'm hoping the next coach, that's what I'm hoping the next coach will help them build, is basically add the cherry on top to the style that's already been built that I think can effectively help the team navigate CONCACAF and navigate tournaments and even, you know, go toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the world at the World Cup. You still need to be flexible, but I would rather not throw the baby out with the bathwater. If we see a managerial change, I would rather see, at least right now, and, and maybe things change in my mind between now and when we have a higher I would rather see the U.S. kind of develop and iterate on on what they've already built over the last X number of years. All right. Thank you very much, Todd, for the question. Let's take another quick break and a couple more after this one. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafari never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They are made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, All of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? 
we've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Here's a question from Aaron Motes. Assuming the USMNT will send a B team to the 2023 Gold Cup, who would you like to see and why? Uh, Aaron says he would send a lot of players in contention for the 24 Olympic team roster. Graham, your thoughts on this one? Gold Cup, of course, coming up this summer. I know it's circled in your calendar. Uh, mm. CONCACAF's finest competing. Plus, of course, Qatar. Invited once again. <laughs> Of course, because why not? In terms of, of, of what players I would like to see at, at, at that tournament, um, I guess a general theme would be players who obviously weren't involved <laughs> in the World Cup. Why do you already sound could... annoyed by this? <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> Is this just you not well, wanting the Olympics to happen? I mean, I am not an Olympic. Yeah, this is, I'm not an Olympics fan, and I am neutral on the Gold okay. Cup. Is that not just the general stance, no, the general consensus fair. on the on the, on the Gold Cup? I mean, I guess I'll watch it if I have there to. There we go. Um, Graham, serious question: Do you not like the Olympics because Scotland compete as Great Britain, and you have resentment for the rest of the nation? Yes, okay. that is the reason. Okay. No, it's not the only reason. Um, it's just like school sports day, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to minimize the athletic achievement yeah, I mean, of uh, uh, people who are much better than me. But in the same way that a, soccer is, in the same way that soccer is just the playground every lunchtime at my school. Yeah, yeah. I guess with the Olympics, I just get annoyed that people all of a sudden become experts in sports that they know nothing about overnight. I've made a career like, out of that, Graham. <laughs> Yeah, well, same for, same for myself. Yeah, that's what I've done for the last few years, the last 10 years. Um, is bad, do that. bad technique on the hurdles there. Got to be better. Got to be better. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you're if you're claiming by that much, like, it's just too much. I mean, exactly. You're joking, but that people do become, they do start to talk like that about sports that they watch once every four years. So that's part a big part of the reason I'm not a massive fan of the Olympics. As I say, neutral on the Gold Cup. So some players that I would like to see at that tournament. Um, Malik Tillman. There is a player in there. There are, there are moments of brilliance from him every so often. I have questions about his intensity or his lack thereof, um, particularly in matches where he doesn't see a lot of the ball. And I don't think his Champions League performances were up to much this season. But the US will be the dominant side in plenty Gold Cup matches, or you would you would hope so. So I guess that tournament could, could suit him well. I'll give you a couple other names before I, I, I pass the mic. Uh, Jack McGlynn. I think if the, if the US is going to improve that midfield unit before 2026, it feels like he's a, a good candidate to make that happen. He's got good work rate. His, his passing game is tidy, so I could see him working well in the US team. And then uh, Daryl DK, I would like to see him back. I know, has he played since the last the last Gold Cup, which was a big storyline for that yeah. tournament, him coming into that team? There was a lot of excitement and hype around him. Injuries have been a problem for him really since that, that tournament. He's not played a, a great deal for the US, but he is playing for West Brom right now and, and, and doing relatively well. So I guess let's uh, let's give him a chance to, to make up for some lost time. Joe, your thoughts on uh, the players who should be in contention for the Gold Cup? Okay, so I want to back up like a half step first. If if listeners didn't know when the Gold Cup is, like I didn't really know when the dates were before I started doing prep for this show, I'll I'll drop those now. So the Gold Cup is going to be from June 24th to July 16th. The Nations League, the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal and final, which the U.S. has not qualified for yet, I believe, but almost yes. certainly will after the March window. Those games are going to be sometime probably in early June. So this is the premise of, of the question here from Aaron, is that there's two tournaments. It's, it's unlikely, although not impossible. Mexico did it last time around uh, two summers ago. I don't remember when that was. But they, they sent their A-team to both tournaments. The U.S. last time around, the last time we had these two competitions, Baralther sent an A-team to the Nations League and like a B-minus-ish team to the, to the Gold Cup. So I do think that's likely to happen again. So I've got most of the, the top guys going to the Nations League, the European players. That way there's fewer games for them after a long season, and you get to look at more players over an extended period in the Gold Cup. So that's just the, the background foundation stuff. Some other players that I would like to see Graham, I love the the Malik Tillman shout. He's on my list. I love the Daryl DK shout. He's on my list. McGlynn's not because the U20 World Cup finishes just a couple of weeks before the Gold Cup, and I think he's going to be there. Maybe he'll be at both, but I'm not sure about that. So I've got some other midfielders. Eric Williamson, I want to see. I'd like to see him start a bunch of games. 
Keaton Parks, kind of the, the same deal. Aiden Morris at the number six. Taylor Booth, just anywhere in midfield. He's he's doing well in the Eredivisie right now. I would love to see all of those guys. I'd love to see uh, Austin Trusty and Miles Robinson as the starting center backs for this team. Robinson should be healthy by then. I think we should see him in MLS even before that tournament. Uh, had, had dealt with an Achilles injury that, that took him out of the World Cup. I'd like to see him playing, and, and that's why I'd, I'd send him to the Gold Cup rather than the Nations League. And then Austin Trusty has been doing well in the championship I want to see him. And then Gaga Slonina. I would love to see him start as the goalkeeper in this tournament. Maybe that's not the right thing to do, but I'm not sure how much he'll have been playing for Chelsea. I'm not sure he's going to get many looks at all this season. Maybe he gets a loan later in January and will have been playing and will have been playing well. I would like to see Slonina in this team. I have a bunch of other picks, but Taylor, I want to hear some of yours. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, three more for you. I think Gianluca Buzio would be interesting. We haven't seen a ton of him, uh, but has been playing in Italy. And I think to see him as a more veteran player, if we're not going to call in the veteran veteran players, would be interesting. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, I think if he's not going to be with the Nations League team, then to make sure he's involved, make sure he's still interested in playing, uh, I think w- would be good. And then I-, I think as we talked about previously, Joe, I think just calling in Florin Balogun, even though he's probably not going to take it, even though he's probably not going to accept it, just yeah. keep calling him in. Keep letting him know we're yep. interested. Keep letting him know we're around. Maybe don't be too desperate. Don't send flowers or anything, but just be like, hey, you know, like we're going to be doing something later if you want to hang out and just see if he's casually into it. That's the way to go. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. You up? Just just hit him with a you up. Yeah, exactly. You up? Want want to play for the U.S. in the Gold Cup? Question mark. Is that is that too is that too uh, is that too extra? No, I think that's a very normal text to send to another. Team. <laughs> Don't tell him it's the Gold Cup. <laughs> yeah. Just take the the take the tact that that I think it was a Vegas TV station took when they said the U.S. had had won the World Cup when they yeah. when they beat Mexico in that final <laughs> last year or the year before whenever that was. All right. So I mean, so you up? Question mark. Going to kick around later. Period. And then we send that. Perfect. Parentheses, Although not I think at the I, Gold Cup. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm reliably informed that uh, I guess only old people include punctuation in their texts, but I can't not uh, conclude a sentence with a period, so that's my own thing. Does that tell you something, Taylor? Or what? That that I'm <laughs> that, that I'm that I'm an old now? Yes, yes, oh, it does. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Look at the one young person coming at us, Taylor. I'm, I'm, I'm grouping myself with you here. <laughs> hey, I'm barely in my thirties. Am I not young? What am I? You're in your 30s. Uh, <laughs> like, like us two. <laughs> Different end of it, but hey. <laughs> Anywho, thank you, Aaron, for that question. One final question for this episode from Andy Malio. Here we go. To support women's soccer and soccer in general in the US, I propose, says Andy, an exhibition game of the USMNT and USWNT playing England's men's and women's national teams. So here's how we structure it. 26 players per squad, 13 men and 13 women. On the field, you have to have five women and five men at the same time. Uh, The first half, you have a male goalie. The second half, a female goalkeeper. Five subs per side. Men coming on for men, women coming on for women. What do you think? Would this work? Would this be a good game to play? To answer those three questions briefly for me, Taylor, don't like it, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, wait, be a little be a little more uh informative. Why don't you like it? I just don't think it would work very well. Do you think it do you think there's a world where this this format this would, be would actually be pure chaos and I want it. Yeah? Is it good I mean, chaos? I think it would be it'd be the same thing as like a testimonial or like a friendly when you get like the Brazil 2002 team playing again for some reason. Like I, I don't think it would be taken as a very competitive game so like it would work in the sense that you could do that and play 90 minutes of soccer and just, abide by those rules uh i think just it would be clarify, are we talk are, are we talking about 52 players being on the pitch no at no one no time? no 26 player squad but five five men five women and a goalkeeper i like graham's idea all that <laughs> yeah i'll just make the pitch twice as big why not let's yeah. do that right so so hold on the third so it's 13 versus 13 is no, 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 13? no. The squad has to no. be the squad has to be thirteen men, thirteen <laughs> women. But then you have five men on the pitch, five women on the pitch, and then the substitutions are: if you're taking off uh, uh, Christian Pulisic, you have to bring on Tim Way. If you're taking off Mallory Pugh, you have to bring on Midge Purse. It's like you, you, you can't sort of. So how many uh, players are on the pitch at any on given each time? Side, Graham. <laughs> Just 22. Oh, this is disappointing. I thought we were having 26 aside, which is what the question says. Player 26 players aside. I thought it was 52 players on the football pitch at the one time, which is why I was yeah. so in favor I of like, this. But. I like Graham's idea better. I, I agree with Ryan. I don't think it, it's going to produce a good game. If it's a testimonial like Taylor's talking about and everybody's just kind of having a laugh, 
then it's fine. I, I just don't love the mechanics of splitting the teams like this. I don't, I don't think it's going to flow very well. I think it's going to look strange in terms of how the game is played. So I don't love the execution, but I think the idea is fun. And whenever we get questions like this, I always come back to the same thing. Actually, now I'm coming back to two things. One is Graham's idea of putting 52 players on the field at the same time to see what happens. The other idea is just futsal. Play a futsal game, do fives and have a couple of each on the field at the same time. Everybody wants to see the skill moves anyway. That's the, the fun part of these kinds of games. So it's more balanced. There's a smaller field. You could still broadcast it on TV. Like, I'm sure somebody would pick this up if, if it was planned well. And then you get to see, you know, Rose Lavelle nutmeg somebody. And that's fun. That's what I want to see, at least. And I'd rather see that happen eight times in a game than, like, twice. So As long as it's not my John Stones, I, I couldn't be having that, Joe. Bad news, Ryan. It. Yeah. It is John Stones. I just uh, you said you, you said Joe, this is a fun idea, but I also would be concerned about the <laughs> conversation this would uh, inspire. The chat online when this game would happen, I don't think would be particularly positive and healthy. Well, I mean, you can't not do things because people are going to say stupid stuff online. First of all, because then nobody would do anything. We wouldn't but, do our show, uh, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I do think that that discourse would be minimized uh the the comparisons between men and women playing soccer would be minimized with sort of the the five aside like it's it's a better uh in my mind at least it's a better and more even playing field where you get to see cool stuff from everyone because these players you know men's national team women's national team whatever are like so skilled they're so good in in tight spaces they're elite at that stuff and so i think that's why the futsal court is a much better uh a better arena for this kind of thing than like a full field there is a there is a, a growing trend in sports in general of of mixed competition. So uh, tennis comparison here, Taylor. I know you love those. Love them. The They're United Cup is. <laughs> the, I, I presume you've been watching loads of the United Cup in Australia. I know you've been you've been tuned to that. Guys, uh, I know it looks closely. like my eyes are glazed over and I'm not really listening <laughs> anymore. But no, go ahead, continue on. Sorry, that, sorry. That's just can how I, you look when you're very concentrated. Mm-hmm. Can I interrupt very briefly? Um, uh, Sasha Kleschen just became a broadcaster for MLS under Apple. They just released that. I didn't know that when I said it earlier, but I'm covering my tracks for listeners who have already seen that news. When I okay. suggested that, that was just me throwing a dart at the wall. I was right, as it turns out. But uh, you anyway, made it happen, Joe. Will, will he only be a successful broadcaster if he's got a mustache? I I I don't know. <laughs> like I think we should ask Taylor. I think we should ask Taylor that question. All right, maybe that was a conversation we had off air. But please continue, Graham. <laughs> Yeah, so there is a trend of, of, of mixed competitions. United Cup in, in Australia has been pretty popular. I think this is the first year it's happened um, where you have like um, countries competing against each other and the teams are made up of, of, of men and, and, and women players. So I guess it wouldn't be too surprising to see some form of exhibition competition in, in that mould moving forward. I just don't really know. I'm with Joe. I think a futsal tournament would, would be fun and I, I would like to see that happen over over anything else, I think. Taylor, any closing thoughts on this one? Is it a wonderful idea? I mean, I, I think like experimental games are always interesting and you could definitely make it fun, but I don't think it's going to be like a competitive thing or anything like that. I think it would just be like a fun kick around. I like the idea of doing the futsal tournament and you have uh, like a set number of captains who draft from a, a fixed player pool. I think that could be cool uh, to see who picks and, and how much bitterness there would be. I also like the idea of having... The, the U.S. men play the England men on one pitch, and then perpendicular to that, the U.S. women are playing the England women, and then you have them. That midfield area is hotly contested, and you got to pay attention to two different balls at once. Let's just go full chaos and see what happens. Oh, boy. King Peach with the hot takes hey. once again on Total Soccer Show. Uh, Andy, thank you very much for that question. I'm not sure if we succinctly answered whether it would work or be good, but uh, we did interesting... not. Yeah, we didn't. But hey, hey, such is life. Uh, And we had fun discussing it, did we not? Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your discussion and for all you do. As always, it's the friends we made along the way. Indeed. Friends such as Joe Lowry. Thank you very much, Joe. Aw, thanks, Ryan. And Graham Ruthven, pleasure as always, my darling. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Good to have you back. It's good to be back. Thank you, listener, for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.